Thanks for watching this episode of Turning to Him. I invite you to just take a few seconds right now at the beginning and subscribe to this channel so that you can get more videos like this in your feed. Thanks again. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Turning to Him. My name is Zach Batty, and I'm here with Matthew Sailors. Matthew is an adult convert to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He's studying marriage and family relations through Pathway Worldwide. And we're just excited to have you, Matthew. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Zach. It's a real pleasure to be here, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful for the chance to share my story and my testimony a little bit with you. Fantastic. Hey, give us a 30-second rundown of who you are and what you do. Um, who I am, well, most importantly, obviously a child of God. I know that's kind of, you know, a standard answer, but that's what I really believe. Um, and I am also, um, a country boy, uh, born and raised on a ranch in South Texas. Uh, I'm enjoying life right now in Colorado, but I'll be moving around, uh, who knows how many times in the next few years with my wife and our six month old daughter, uh, who we're, is the joy of our lives. Um, so just finishing school and looking forward to professional opportunities. Oh, congratulations. Okay. Now I know that everything is bigger in Texas. So when you say <laughs> ranch, what do you mean by ranch? Uh, it was almost 5,000 acres. Uh, so <laughs> that, that was the one I grew up on for the first 14 years of my life. And then, uh, with 2008 financial crisis, you know, things going on with the owners changing plans and all kinds of stuff. We moved around, went to West Texas. I was on a 29,000 acre ranch at that point. Um, and, uh, just in the middle of the wilderness and, uh, but loving life. And since then I've been unfortunately confined to cities yeah. <laughs> through being education and, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, that's kind of the overall profile. Is it tough? Are you doing okay? You know, being stuck in cities and things and not being able to stretch your legs and breathe deep. Uh, take walks on a can, you know, <laughs> that's how I keep saying. 29,000 acres, uh, a Certainly. cattle ranch. Yeah. Game and cattle. Game and cattle. Okay. So for us city kids, what do you mean by game? I mean, I know a cattle and when um, you say game, I think antelope and right. And, White-tailed deer and things like that. Exactly, yeah. Mostly white-tailed deer, um, like some exotics as well. Elk on the on the one out in the second ranch, as well. Uh, wild pigs. Oh, okay. So, yeah, just kind of contracting, leasing out people who are interested in going hunting. Um, yeah, having a lot of fun. Wow. So, what is life like for you growing up? You know, those first fourteen years as as a farm kid. I guess farm farms different than ranch. I mean, keep me honest here, right? Yeah. So we actually did have some agricultural products as, uh, projects as well. Um, my so my mother homeschooled me, um, and my time was spent mostly in that and just playing around, being a kid too. But especially as I got a little bit older, um, my dad would take me out to go hunting and just ride with him in the tractor. Uh, one of my favorite smells to this day is the smell of the combination of dirt and diesel coming out <laughs> of a John Deere tractor. So, uh, yeah, and, and just kind of tagging along with him. So uh, it was a it was a very quiet upbringing. Um, really, not much changed in terms of the the town we were close by or or life in general. You know, just a, a nice quiet, and I think a pretty 
different upbringing than maybe others of my own generation and certainly today have experienced um aside from the occasional video games that i enjoyed there wasn't much in the way of technology or or anything i'm not saying it was amish right, but right. you know it was it was just peaceful um, okay and I, I i miss that but i hope one day we can regain that somehow if the lord permits sure sure how many kids in your family i'm the youngest by 14 years of three Okay. Uh, so I have a brother and sister that are, you know, in their early forties now. And, um, they, I mean, I was raised almost as a single child, just I was gonna by say, that age yeah. difference. Yeah. Cause 14 years is a significant difference. So yeah, yeah. You spent a good part of your life. I mean, like you said with, I, I'm assuming with, you know, more of probably an aunt and uncle relationship than mm -hmm. a brother and sister relationship. Yeah. Yeah, I think those, and by no means is this a complaint, it's just kind of how things were, yeah. but the combination of the ranch life, plus the homeschooling, plus my place in the family led to a very solitary existence. Most of my friends that I had were adults, pretty much so. Um, that led to an introverted personality, perhaps, or um, an exaggeration of it, but it also... I don't know. It just has made me think differently. Yeah. And... Um, all right. So I want to, I want to explore that more. You grow, are you milking cows every morning and night or uh, not that no milk cows on the ranch? Yeah. Not no milk cows. Um, okay. it was more of, in my case, you know, getting up the worst part of the day was doing school. Okay. Um, not because my mom was my teacher. I love her, but just because I didn't like school that much, I wanted to yeah. be out with my dad on the ranch. Yeah. Um, but once I got done with school work, you know, if it was an evening, my father would make a round, we'd go check the fences or check the cattle, um, feed, throw hay, uh, to the deer and the cattle and so forth and pellets and everything that we, we feed them. Um, and aside from that, on the weekends, especially, I would have a little bit more freedom to go out and, and do work and projects with my father and help him out a little bit. I was probably driving his truck when I was 10 or 11, you know, but uh, right. with his supervision, of course. But of course, yes. That, yeah. Okay. So you mentioned uh, a few video games, putting those aside. What did you do for fun? Chores are done. School's done. You got some free time. Um exploring okay so my my mother um worked on the ranch as a maid mm -hmm. so we would go to different houses or um i want to say cabins but it's like the places where hunters would stay so um we'd go over there and clean and whatnot sometimes it'd help her a little bit um but mostly i would just explore go down in the woods and the creek and see what trouble i could get into it, it was uh, that's why i say like i feel in a way very privileged because it felt like the adventures of huckleberry finn or you know something yeah from another another time period where it just felt so organic and natural and, and fun in in a pure way um and i cherish those memories uh but that yeah. was pretty much mostly what it was and dang i mean other than the video games um, we did go, so I was raised in a Baptist church okay. and so 
I guess the social aspect of my life was mostly um, attending with my mother at church and youth activities. Um, we had a program called Vacation Bible School. If anyone's from a Protestant background or familiar with that, you know what that is. It's summer camp. Um, and so that was a big, big deal. Um, and that was also fun, you know, and, and so forth. We didn't really visit a whole lot of people, but that mm -hmm. was kind of our, our ministering, so to speak. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you go to Bible school and you're surrounded by kids who have probably a pretty different upbringing than you. Mm -hmm. uh, how to some degree, that... to some degree, the, the town was only 1700 people or less. Okay. Farming heavy community. Okay. Some of them were very much in the similar position as I was, except that most of them attended um, public school. But yes, there were also kids there who were, you know, raised all the time in the town and had no care whatsoever for the outdoors. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so probably similar kids to you. Not not your exact experience, but yeah. um, a small town, like you said, heavy farming, heavy ranching, agricultural. Uh, influence okay and you said you did that until you were 14 yeah on that specific ranch oh, that's and specific. then okay. after a period of unemployment my father found another ranch job we were out in west texas until 2012 yeah 2012 and then um we came back to a, a very another small town in texas uh where my parents have been ever since okay so you uh, finish your schooling, uh, graduate, yep. and what do you do? You go off to school? Do you leave? What, get my, what happens? Get my first job um, at a local Walmart, which we actually started that Walmart. We were the, the we were the opening team in, to start a Walmart, which is a very unique experience, um, but a fun one, sometimes a patience trying one. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, as any Walmart employee will tell you, there's some ups and downs, love hate relationship with <laughs> with retail yeah. in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I worked there for several years. Um, now I I have an on Saints Unscripted, which is a, a channel um, for Latter Day Saints, a little bit geared more towards youth, I guess, or, or young adults. Um, I shared with them a little bit of my conversion story, specifically to the restored gospel and and where that came out of, but. I'll give you kind of the elevator pitch of how that happened here. Yeah, with, and then, and then um, I want to go deeper on that. But yeah, <laughs> give us a summary. Um, that Baptist upbringing, especially in a, I would call a fundamentalist Baptist church, strong conservative evangelical okay. background. Um, you didn't hear much about Latter-day Saints, uh, certainly not by that name. You heard about Mormons, and mm -hmm. it was almost never in a positive context. Um, so I come from a background of great prejudice um, against this church, against the restored gospel. And um, it took, so to speak, the Lord shaking me by my coattails yeah. and uh, a spiritual experience where after I had known some Latter-day Saints and, and kind of saw their examples and heard their own words and listened without the intent of judging, uh, I, I just felt in my heart that I had been pretty unfair. And so in in seeking for greater light and truth in my own way, I didn't expect to find it in the restored gospel, but in a combination of running up against these good Christian people 
mm-hmm. and praying for forgiveness to the Lord for how I had misjudged them. Um, the Holy Ghost visited me in a way that I knew without uh, a, 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 without equivocation that it was the Holy Spirit telling me that this is what I need to investigate. Um, and so after you know getting kind of sure, making sure that that was the Spirit speaking to me, um, I got a copy of the Bible, copy of the Book of Mormon, read both of them cover to cover. Um, and you could say the rest was history, but it was a a spiritual outpouring unlike anything I'd ever experienced as I read the Book of Mormon. And I knew as a farm boy who was far, far better educated at that age than Joseph Smith was, mm-hmm. that there's no way that young man could have written that book. Yeah, yeah. And there's just no 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 possible way. Um, and, and, you know, from there, it just grew with more spiritual experiences and, uh, being healed from an addiction that I had been involved with, um, at that point for several years, um, just seeing miracle after miracle. I mean, it's too much to describe in a couple of minutes, but, you know, just, just seeing the Lord's hand, like I had never seen before in my life, um, gave me a testimony of the restored gospel and and I knew my heart had was cleansed and I found healing and peace. Uh, so by the time we were we left that second ranch and we're back in um with my with my parents in that small town where we had been staying, my my parents had bought my grandparents' house uh as kind of security, which was good that we did. Um when I when the time felt right, I was twenty one years of age, I could make my own decisions and and lead my own life. Um, you know, I, I shared with my parents my spiritual experiences. They were respectful, uh, kind of surprised, um, kind of taken aback, but respectful. And I walked into the local LDS chapel and found the bishop and said, how can I be baptized? And he said, <laughs> well, I, I have a couple of young men who can help you do that, if that's really what you want to do. And uh so yeah, three weeks later, I was baptized on my birthday. Okay, so, oh my gosh! All right, there is so yeah. much there. Okay, so first of all, how did you get introduced to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints? Well, the way I was introduced to it in a positive context was R- by yes, thank you, yeah, yeah, was by my encounter socially with um, Latter Day Saints, mostly in the media during what culturally has been called the Mormon moment. Okay. which is around like the 2010 through 2012 period Mitt Romney was running for election. Yes. Um, Latter-day Saints in various parts of media and culture were starting to get more prominence just because of the climate, right? And so it was being, there was a buzz. Um, and it provided opportunities. Well, also the um, I'm a Mormon campaign back when that was a thing. Yeah. Uh, yep. Meet the Mormons. Okay, I, and not that I engage with all of these things, but it was just the general buzz, and it provided me online opportunities to kind of get to know Latter-day Saints as well, which is really how I got to see their example, having no no interest whatsoever in their religion, yeah, but seeing their example and their Christian witness, that worked on me, you know. That is fascinating. Um, so there wasn't. You know, you didn't bump into somebody in your high school, or you didn't, you didn't missionaries and knock on your door or anything like this. It was just the uh, 
the increased visibility in the media. That was collateral damage. Yeah. <laughs> in the best way possible. Yes. Okay. I don't know that I have ever heard a conversion story like that before. That's pretty unique. The Lord has some pretty long arms. <laughs> yeah. You're not kidding. All right. So um you said when you were when you were 21 is when you talked to your parents about it, but how long how long did it take you know, when you start seeing this and your interest gets peaked, right? When did that start? I began reading the Book of Mormon in 2012. I started in, ja- yeah, started in January, finished in March. And How did you get a copy of the Book of Mormon? So the Book of Mormon is public domain. It's been over 100 years since publication. So I had an Amazon Kindle and I just downloaded it. And uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, free. Yeah. And um, so from 2012, until 2015, when I was baptized, those you know three years of repentance, addiction recovery, learning, questioning, um, because of course, coming from my background, when someone—I can't speak for everyone, of course—but when someone from a rather hostile background comes into contact with uh, the restored gospel, it's kind of like you have a testimony and a faith crisis all in one, and yeah. so. Yeah, a lot. It took me three years, right? To, I mean, I had a testimony by the time I finished the Book of Mormon, but it was a testimony of the Book of Mormon. Okay. But I still had to read the Doctrine and Covenants, still had to read Pearl of Great Price, still had to go over on then LDS.org and uh, learn about this guy named Thomas S. Monson, right? And yes. like figure out what all this stuff meant. And I got in contact with online missionaries probably a few months. I, I can't recall exactly, but a, a little while before I went to the church for the first time. And um, they were really wonderful, helpful, supportive sister missionaries. Um, kind of kept me in contact, kept me get hyped, uh, helping to know what to expect when I went. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm answering the question you asked at this point, but that's kind of the process, the trajectory that I followed. So about three years. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I can I can completely understand why it would take so long, um, just based on how you've described it. I think similar to probably a lot of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, your your Baptist faith, and I'm I'm going out on a limb here, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Your Baptist faith was not only your faith and your belief structure, but it was also kind of your social environment. I mean, it's that's a big chunk of your life. Yeah, to, to, it's to retool. It is helpful to note that um, when we left the first ranch and the nearby town where we had a church family in 2009, um, we had phone call contact with you know, friends back there. But other than that, we really had no church family from that point on. Okay. Um, and then I'm trying to remember, there's another thing you mentioned. Um, oh yes. So for the Baptist faith specifically, my mother, I, I credit her with planting in me the seeds that led me to the restored gospel, or at least many of them, because my mother went to the Baptist church, not because she believed everything that they taught, but because it was a safe, well-established church, she knows exactly what she's going to get from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but her own faith 
she believed a lot of things that they didn't, or she didn't believe a lot of things they did. Okay. Um, and things that, that work very well with the restored gospel. She believed in spiritual gifts, manifestations, visions, Holy ghost. Um, things that she was actually told incidentally enough that those things had all died with the apostles and that we should okay. never expect them again, which is exactly what Joseph Smith was told. Right. He relayed right. his first vision, right? So that's just one, a small example of there's many others, but you can see how, as I started to learn and hear Joseph Smith's own words, his own testimony, I'm like, Whoa, this sounds familiar. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I could just start like making links with what my mother had taught me. Some of the things she taught me with Joseph Smith and uh, the restored gospel. Do you think that your the the style of learning that was very natural to you in a homeschool environment, which is which is oftentimes kind of a self led uh, discovery? I mean, of course, there's curriculum and things like that, but self led. Do you think that that helped you as you investigated the gospel in really a self led, of course, spirit led, sure, but self exploratory style? That's a great question. It's one I haven't thought of in that way before. Um, my education was... It was guided for a, most of the years by my mother. By the last several years, it was like 70% me, 30% her, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah, I've never thought of it that way, but maybe so. I mean, I did love from the very beginning i was raised with a really fun series of books called hank the Cowdog, okay which is about ranch life really and <laughs> I, I loved reading and i loved the emphasis that my particular homeschool curriculum put on the classics the humanities the, the best subjects that i did in i did not care for math very well but i cared very much for grammar and english and history and so um, I, one friend once said, I'm a person of the word, okay. meaning that it, words make sense to me in ways that other forms of communication don't, which incidentally is how, a lot of the times how I receive revelation is in the form of sentences that come to yeah. my mind. Um, and so, yeah, I think as I engaged with the word, uh, the word of the Lord, both in the Bible and the Book of Mormon, that that made a natural bridge to me. It was something I could easily understand and connect with and analyze and, and just chew on. So yeah, I think that probably there's some connections there. You are reading the book of Mormon and the spirit is starting to work on you. What are the thoughts that are going through your head? Um, as I think about the first few weeks, I guess, of engaging with the Book of Mormon, because um, I started keeping a journal at this very time, the first journal that I ever kept. And so I can kind of track, it's fun to kind of just see how how things tracked at that time. But my first responses were, what in the world was I afraid of? You know, because the background that I came from kind of instilled a fear hmm. of the unknown. And certainly something that was I was primed from the beginning to believe was false. And so there was a certain fear with engaging the Book of Mormon. But 
my first reaction was, okay, this is all about Jesus. Why am I, wh- what did I expect to find? Right. Yeah. So the, the next thing, um, the, I guess the next highlight in my memory was, uh, third Nephi, I believe it's chapter 17 where the savior, he's going to leave to minister to the other, um, people, of the house of Israel, the people there in bountiful want him to stay. And he has compassion. He heals people. And then he blesses their little ones. And of course, you know, the, the experience of the angels coming and, and their little ones being encircled with fire and them kind of seeing each other for who they really are as they really eternally are. Uh, and I, I broke down at that point. That was a, a profoundly, um, spiritual experience for me. Um, an experience that, you know, later looking back, I feel like was a temple like experience, the serenity and the, the feeling of being just enveloped in the mm-hmm. spirit, um, in a place of, of real peace, um, and heaven felt very close. And then of course, by the end, I already mentioned, you know, after finishing the book of Mormon, there's, there's no way a human mind could produce this without the aid of divine assistance. Certainly not. The, the man who was used to to produce it he's just totally incapable of that so that was i guess the highlight reel my reaction okay so you finished the book of mormon you said you have a testimony of the book of mormon but uh mm-hmm. still not necessarily a, a testimony of the restored gospel um go, mm-hmm. just because i didn't wrong. know it all yeah yeah, <laughs> I yeah didn't for know sure. what else to lay for and wait for me Okay, so you go and you get a copy of the Doctrine and Covenants and the Preliminary Price. Yeah, on LDS.org, which is, of course, now churchofjesuschrist.org. Right, right. And you read those. What thoughts are going through your head? Um, it felt familiar. And not because I just read the Book of Mormon. It felt familiar because as I read the Book of Mormon and I had my own spiritual experiences, again, like I mentioned frequently, revelation comes to me as words. Mm-hmm. And so the voice, one of the one of the passages in the in the Book of John that my mother loved and that um, occurred to me fairly frequently as I was investigating the church was. My sheep know me. They know my voice. The voice that I recognized in the Bible is the voice that I recognize in the Book of Mormon. I could say the God of of this book is the God of that book. Okay, that's how I I recognized it. And um, as I went to the Doctrine and Covenants, I'm now recognizing the same voice. Okay. Not just in the text that I'm reading, but in the thoughts and feelings coming to my mind, my heart. Um, that's what I mean really by the voice. Yeah. Right? Uh, it, it's not just a revelation that I'm reading. It is a catalyst to produce revelation within me. And so I'm recognizing that in this book and this book and this book and then per the great price. right? And then the words of the prophets, President Monson and so forth. And it's all the same voice. Um, and so that's that was my experience with that with revelation. So fast forward a little bit. 
you now gain a testimony, you know that you need to be baptized. Any hesitancy to tell your parents that? Yeah, I was I was nervous. Um, I knew that I needed to, but the thing the thing that I think was powerful for my conversion, um, you know, obviously the, we talk in the gospel about the difference between testimony and conversion. You know it's true versus you're being true to it, and mm -hmm. you feel it, right? And it's a it's a transformative experience that that changes you. Um, I got my testimony in 2012, or at the beginnings of it at least, and it progressed from there. But the thing that changed uh, and really kickstarted the conversion process, I, I feel like, um, beyond the initial testimony, was the healing that I experienced from the sin that I knew and the addiction and the 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 feeling of loneliness and isolation and, and all the baggage that went along with that from my early teenage years um and being healed from that starting on august uh 14th 2013 which was the day in which i knelt in the garden uh in my parents place um and I offered up the sins that I committed, but what I now understood from the Book of Mormon were the sorrows and the vulnerabilities and the needs and the the brokenness that Christ also atoned for, which I never knew about. I knew he atoned for my sins from the Bible. That's blatantly obvious. I never grasped before I read the Book of Mormon that he atoned for things that happened to me that were not fair. Things that happened to me that maybe I responded to badly that made them worse than they may have otherwise been. So that experience led to the beginning of my healing, my abstinence, my recovery. Um, and when I had experienced that, something really important changed for me because previous to that, I said, okay, yes, I know this is true, Lord. I will obey you. I will get baptized. Not necessarily grudgingly, but I'm kind of scared, but I'll, yeah. I'm willing to do it. But after that point, it's not that the fear went away, but I had this peace come over me and this conviction that there is no way I can I can experience what I have just experienced, this sense of healing and forgiveness and and reconciliation with the Lord, and not share this message. And I wanted, I knew at that point I had to serve a mission. Um, previous to that, I knew that young Latter Day Saint men served missions right about my age range. I was like, never. It's enough for me to be baptized. Yeah. But after that experience with being healed and forgiven, it was a natural, uh, uh, almost unquestioned result. There's no way. I, I, we, I'm not ungrateful. <laughs> I'm not that arrogant. I'm sure yeah. I have my pride somewhere, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not that far gone. Um, and so sharing with my parents, I guess that was what gave me the force to do that. Um, it was an extension of missionary work. Yeah. Isn't it 
isn't it amazing that that repentance process that you talk about that that is a gift that the lord gives us it is not a punishment it is not that before we can join the church or before you can go on a mission or before you can go to the temple you have to take your stripes for the mistakes that you that you've made that's not it it's the Lord removing that from you so that you can enjoy his blessings even more fully. Yes. And I think that that's something that, um, of course the Holy ghost can teach anybody anything, but I think most commonly that is something that is only understood by someone who has taken advantage of the atonement and his, who, is someone who has felt uh, as Alma the Younger did, just that that lift. And sometimes it's a gradual lift. Yes. Sometimes it's an instant lift. But, you know, I often say nobody appreciates sunscreen like the person who just got sunburned. And oh, that's, that's, I love hearing your testimony of that and of experiencing that, that it is a gift. It is. It's a relief. So you're 21, you tell your parents, and uh, you said before that they are respectful, but but raise their eyebrows, I'll say. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then eventually, I assume you tell them that you're going on a mission. Yeah, I, I let that sink in for a while before I told them about the mission part. <laughs> I, um, I would think, yeah, small doses. Do <laughs> this in small doses. But... Uh, I, I did it kind of the same way, just sharing why, what I just shared with you. Um, I shared uh, my mother first um, and broke it gently to my father too. My father, um, again, very respectful, worrying, yep. of course. My mother, yep. uh, similar response. And I got my mission call. Um, my my experience opening the call letter was a little different than the taped celebratory recordings that are wonderful, and I'm glad people have those experiences. But it, mine wasn't quite that celebratory. Uh, it was more it was more like we it felt like waiting in the doctor's office for the diagnosis, right? That's kind of the the tension that was in the air, and now, it was. Forgive me for interrupting. Is this? Uh, I'm trying to get my timeline right. Are you in the age of a paper call in the mail or yes. did you get an email? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I served my mission 2017 to 2019. So you have um, a big envelope yeah. that came in the mailbox waiting to open. Yes. Yeah. So it was to Cape Verde, Africa, which none of us, none of us knew where Cape Verde was. I'd never heard of the place before unless uh, some obscure time my eyes passed over it in my geography textbook. But, um, we had to look it up, kind of figure out where it was, what this place was like. And I don't know why, but for some reason at that particular moment in, I don't know if it was even early 2017, probably January when I opened the call letter, I can't remember. Um, we could not find very much about this country on the internet. All we knew it was a, a group of islands off the coast of West Africa. It was pretty poor, but it was also fairly safe. Okay. Of course, I, as it turned out, I would have been way more 
prone to danger in Chicago if I had served there than if I had been called to this place. It was right. the sweetest people on planet Earth, low crime rate in any ways, but it was exotic. And so that scared people, you know, you yeah. Africa, you're like, oh, okay, banana republic. <laughs> no, not that bad. But uh, yeah, and over time, over my mission, my parents loved hearing my updates, and they loved, um, they loved seeing what was being done. And I could, I could sense even at that time that there was a shift in in their feelings, a softening, and uh, yeah, a bunch of little miracles in that regard. But it was a blessing to all of us. I tell you. Uh... My respect for your parents grows and grows. Not that they need my respect. Oh my, but I mean, I just, I'm trying to think if the tables were turned, you know, one of our kids comes to us and says, Hey, I've been investigating this other religion. I'm going to join it. Sure. And by the way, they're sending me to the West islands of Africa for two years. Yeah. Hope you're okay with that. <laughs> I'm going to write letters to you and you'll get them, you know, when it, well, I guess, yeah. I don't know if you emailed or wrote letters or whatever, but like, yeah. I'll call you on Mother's Day and Christmas. Love you. Bye. Yeah. I mean, holy cow. That would be so hard as a parent. Wow. Well, I'm blessed to have obviously amazing parents. Um, but it, it, more specifically, the relationship we had developed over the years was one of trust and i i don't i don't know how it would have worked otherwise if if we hadn't had the relationship we had had um and i think that's one of the things i'm most grateful for because it continues today and i i hope that i can honor my parents by speaking well of them and and speaking honestly of them which speaks well enough yeah just for the facts you know yeah, yeah. People like that don't don't need embellishment. They're amazing people as is. Absolutely. Wow. All right. So you served I mean, we could do a whole nother podcast, I'm sure, on your mission. Uh that's gotta be an amazing experience. Uh, what's the climate like compared to Texas? Is it a tropical Remarca climate? Tropical Remarca islands? Remarkably similar. Okay. Uh, frying pan to fire. Okay. Well, sorry, no. Frying pan to pressure cooker. Um, humid. I thought I was humid in South Texas. This was a whole nother level. Walking out into a can smack in the face with a wet hand coming off the airplane. Um, hot. Occasionally chilly in the mountains or in January, but we're not that far from the equator, so yeah, pretty yeah. pretty hot and um dry mostly rainy season but uh, but the people are really where my focus is because they are some of those hospitable people some of the most humble people the the name of god is on every lip almost and um i wish i've told people before i wish we could export some of our prosperity to them and import their generosity and their humility and the trade would not be equal yeah yeah You'd get far more in return uh english speaking portuguese and portuguese and, a, speaking. and an african creole mixture of portuguese okay okay isn't that so um 
common. You know, a friend and I were just talking the other day about, you know, what makes a good life. When we say, I've got such a great life, what what does that mean? And sometimes we mistakenly make that synonymous with, I have such an easy life, which is very true. And there are definitely other cultures that have a significantly harder life, just a less convenient life. But I mean, we hear over and over and over again of, um, you know, just the happiness that is, that is prevalent in cultures yes. like that and the humility and the generosity. And you start to wonder, okay, I'm very grateful for my life 100%. And yes. I'm, I am very grateful for the convenience of my life also. But that should not be confused with a good life. There are lots of good lives out there. Yes. And those people taught me to look at my blind spots mm -hmm. and, and my, my cultural, um, I'll say failures, but places where I, I just did not understand life as, as well as I thought I did as a, as a middle-class, lower middle-class American, sure. um, with all conveniences at my disposal. And, seeing them living well living life joining them in a little bit of their life you know yeah um and even our our hot sweaty apartments were probably better than theirs yeah you no know? but i don't know my family comes from poverty but poverty by american standards okay and not uh, that's hard it is hard everywhere but seeing that it, I remember in my first apartment, um, I don't remember exactly what I was doing. It was, it was some kind of, um, like a plant. I don't know if it's a fruit that I was getting off or whatever. And I got some pricks on my hands from the thorns and whatnot. And, um, that's the best that I can remember this experience that I, I didn't care about what I was taking apart. What I remembered is what it triggered my memory was my mother who braided a crown of thorns for one of her vacation Bible school projects. And it, it jogged that memory in my mind. And I realized how pure and how sincere her devotion was in the midst of hardship. And I started thinking about the people all around me, right? Uh, for whatever you can say about, well, they don't have the restored gospel, but they had a pure faith in what they understood. And, you know, I, I'm just in there in the kitchen crying over what I'm doing because I'm thinking about my mother and I'm thinking about these people. And they taught me as, I feel like maybe as much as I taught, I tried to teach them. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, missions are such a blessing all around for everyone. Okay. So you get home from your mission. I'm gonna, I, this has been such a fantastic interview. I, I want to get to the present so you get home from yeah. your mission and um do you stay in texas i mean at, at some point you meet your wife yeah so this is this is kind of the jumping off place into a hurricane <laughs> okay <laughs> um because i get home in 2019 in june and you know there's a period where i, I want to stay around my home ward i love my home ward to death and the people there. Um, 
and I know I need to move on. I know there, and there, I have plans to move on. I pray about it and I seek the Lord's guidance and he shows me some things I need to do. He gives me a little bit of a vision for my life, at least the next few steps. And, um, it involves Rexburg going to BYUI. And so I'm, I'm in pathway in Texas and I matriculate to BYUI online program. Um, but I have a lot of friends, of course, and most of them are in Provo, Utah, or Rexburg, Idaho. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I think I need to go be with be with people in my own age group and start dating and all that stuff. But there's this problem that happens, and it's called the COVID-19 pandemic. I've heard of and, that. I heard of that once. <laughs> and um, man, my journals at that time are dark. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, I mean, I can joke about it now, but at the time, I I don't know if I would have been tested at that particular point, if I would have been diagnosed with depression. I do know that I saw a counselor um, about midway through the pandemic once I get up to Rexburg, and there's a threshold where they're they're looking to see if you are if you meet the criteria for being depressed. Mm-hmm. And the line is here, and my trajectory is going down. I've already been receiving some treatments. But I could only assume that the previous eight months, I was somewhere above it. That's what the trajectory said. You know, I wasn't diagnosed because I was already in the yellow instead of the red. But it sucked. Yeah, yeah. Life really was not fun um, for a while. And it, it led me into a dark place in multiple senses of the word. And when I got to Rexburg... um hoping that the society that I had placed myself in would pull me up from this pit. That was the hardest time of my entire life up to that point for being a member of the church. Um, it was hard because of my mental state. It was hard because of my spiritual state more than anything else. And it was hard because I was hoping for a support system that could reinforce what I wanted so desperately, uh, the peace and the joy that I had felt for so long before. And for various reasons, roommate arrangements and other things, that's not what I found. And as it turns out, without passing any judgment on anyone, not everyone in this church has the same standards, which is no surprise to people who've been in it for a while. Again, for me, being a rather still rather new in the church, that hurt. Sure. sure. Um, but thanks to the help of a very compassionate bishop and a very understanding and wise counselor, um, I got to a place of serenity. And the atonement, that process where the atonement healed me in the first place, it came back. And it came back at a turning point where we're talking about turning to him. It came back at a turning point where I asked the Lord, why am I going through the same cycles that I had left behind so many years before? And he said, well, Matthew, you're not doing your best and you know it. And as soon as those words came in my mind, I had multiple things appear in my mind that I did when I was being converted, when I had that healing experience that I was no longer doing. Now, some of them were the primary answers, consistent scripture study instead of intermittent, consistent prayer 
right? The consistency across the board, but it was also a willingness to sacrifice and to do whatever it took. Just the willingness to lay down my will on the altar and let it be consumed in favor of the Lord's will. That was the turning point. And that is what turned the key. It was it was like the old song that I heard before that I had lost somewhere in a you know in, in a pile of stuff. I let it be buried and now I found it again. And now I'm hearing the song of redemption. And so recovery restarts, serenity, joy, and peace. It comes back in my life. And I'm just basking there in, a, in this apartment one day, about two weeks after this period, I'm thinking, just take a deep breath and I'm back. It's like the spiritual life support system has kicked in and I'm, I'm back, right? Yeah. Um, not in a prideful way, yes. but in a sense that I, I can feel the Holy Ghost again. And two weeks after that, I meet probably the eighth woman that I dated at that point, but the woman who is now my wife. And I told her at that time that I think the Lord permitted me to go through all that and to reach a point of serenity before I met you so that I can honestly say that she wasn't a person I was trying to lean on to be my happiness. Yes, yes. He, he had become my happiness again. And once I reached that point, then he let me meet her. Oh my gosh. So many lessons there. So many things. Um, two of them stick out to me. I, I have said this before on these various interviews, but when I was thinking of what to call this podcast, um, for a while it was turned to him. And then I, I went to turning because we are always turning to him. We, we, ha we are never fully turned to him. And oftentimes we might be more turned to him and then we turn away and then we turn back and then we turn away and then we turn back. But it is a continual act of turning to him. And yes. the more people I interview, the more common that sentiment is. And it comes in various different forms, but this idea of, you know, in, in your case, man, I, I sacrificed, I, I turned away from my childhood religion. I sacrificed, I went on a mission when no one else in my family did, I, all these things. Certainly, when I get home, I've passed my test. I've passed my test. And from now on, it's smooth sailing. Thank goodness that's not how it works. Because the Lord has more in store for us than that. And so... You and me and we all continually have to turn to him over and over again. And then the second thing I love that you brought up is peace and conversion has to be anchored within us. It has to be anchored within us. There can be external motivations, and thank goodness there is. I mean, thank goodness there was a Meet the Mormons campaign and a things like that. that otherwise you wouldn't be we wouldn't be having this conversation but it has to be internal and it certainly cannot be your spouse it has to come from inside and once it comes from inside then you are so much more free to become the person that your father in heaven has in store for you to become yes. and you are open to those blessings and i i love 
that you told your your wife that. That's amazing. How long did you all date? Well, we dated for about eight months um, from first meeting to when we got married. We knew we were right for each other about yes. three to four months in. Um, I say new. We felt very strongly that we were right for each other. Yeah. And I, so my, my, the major that I'm pursuing is marriage and family studies, ultimately to be licensed professional counselor um, after my bachelor's with a master's. But that background at BYUI exposed me to a lot of amazing resources for marriage prep dating uh, in healthy ways. Uh, in wise ways. And uh, that was aside from just what I knew from like church teachings, which was already probably set me ahead of, of where I would have been otherwise, but um, grateful for all those influences. Um, but, but specifically we went through kind of like a marriage prep course together and it, it felt right. Like on, on important issue after important issue, we, we were right, you know, um, but we want our own witness and, and, and she got hers in her way. And I got mine in, in my way through a dream. Um, and I knew that she was right for me, but she was the person I was choosing to be happy with, not someone who I was happy with because I was under the influence of this magical emotion yeah. and i have no way to resist it. I can't help falling in love. No hate on Elvis, but I'm sorry, Elvis. no, <laughs> You, President Monson said, you choose your love and you love your choice. And this was the first woman that I met where I don't feel compelled. I feel admiration and I want to choose this. Mm-hmm. And, and that was part of what was in the dream. But, uh, and, and it's been a greater blessing than I think would have happened with, through any other way because it's, it's been choosing her ever since. Uh, and she's chosen me ever since. And it's right. Uh, and, and, you know, we've had, you know, disagreements as everyone does, but knowing, knowing that there's trust in the relationship because it's based on a love that is chosen and that is built and created rather than fallen into has made a huge difference. And I'm so grateful for that and for her. I am just thinking of your future clientele and how lucky they are. Uh, That's profound. That's very profound. Everything I've said is the product of many people on both sides of the veil. Sure. And I mean, yes, I make choices too, but you know, I've thought with come follow me has asked questions about what, or president Nelson, what would your life be like without the book of Mormon? Probably being a cowboy, a lonely cowboy, somewhere in South Texas, addicted to one or more substances, if I know myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, the list would go on, but really, if it were get summed up in a word, aimless. Mm. I think that's where I would be. And it's because of the path the Lord has put me on so that I can do things like this, share what he has done for me. Well, thank you so much for spending this last hour with me and sharing your, not just your story, but your insight. Uh, So many deep things I'm going to be thinking about 
for the next few days as, as I review this conversation in my mind. Thank you very much for sharing who you are and, um, and your testimony of the Savior. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Zach, and everything you do.